Hey everybody, welcome to Morpheus Radio. My name is Joel Jameson, founder of Morpheus and 8 Weeks Out. In each episode, we'll connect you with the brightest minds in recovery, nutrition, longevity, and human performance. If you like what you hear, make sure to take a few seconds to subscribe and share the knowledge. You can learn more at trainwithmorpheus.com. Now on to the show. All right, we are live. Kelly Starrett, welcome to Morpheus Radio. Oh, such a pleasure to be with you too. Yeah, it's an honor. Joel, welcome back. Great to be here. And uh, it's been a long time since I've talked to Kelly. I don't know if you've ever even been on the same podcast. So it's awesome to have you on the show. I know. It, uh, it, it, there's a thing that happens in this this space. I don't even know what it is anymore. Industry isn't even a word, right? <laughs> uh, like we're, like where people are making bathtub cu- cheese. That's basically what we're doing now in fitness. Um, but you know, the people that you run into that put things on your radar that you follow for decades. And, you know, I think sometimes from the outside, it's impossible to appreciate all the loose connection power and loose network power that's out there. And, uh, and, and just as a as a cautious sign for everyone, don't be a jerk. You're going to need us all eventually, and we're all going to be in the same room eventually. So don't be a jerk. Yeah, yes. I agree with that 100%. There's been a few people in the industry over the years you kind of wanted to avoid, but for the most part, you know, coaches are, are great people, and you end up kind of getting in the room with everybody and having a good time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we could have you do your whole intro on who you are, Kelly, but I'm just going to tell people, go Google you, and then uh, – <laughs> you know, and, and, and do your own research because we only get you for a limited amount of time. And there's so many things we can cover here. And it was funny just chatting with you pre-recording. You kind of referred to us as the old guard. And that was alarming to me in one way because I'm like, how old am I? And I had a count on my fingers. I'm like, oh, I'm out of, I'm out of hands. And, uh, you know, it, it is. I guess we've been doing this for a while, everybody, you know, at least uh, 15 years in the industry. And it's pretty incredible. And one of the things that I've always noticed as, and Joel and I were talking about this earlier today, is like, you know, when you get coaches who have been doing this for a while. You know, it gets really complicated out the front door, right? You're you're doing all kinds of X's and O's and you're looking at the perfect 30 versus 35 second interval times and trying to get a nail down. And then there seems to be this journey that comes through at the end of the day. Everyone's like, we'll get more sleep, right? And <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, where you're at now, Kelly, uh, kind of walk us through your journey and, and kind of your contemplations on how the industry is doing over, you know, from your point of view. Uh, you know. Like everyone else, I think when you when you come in and you're a young kid and you're excited, performance rules. And we learn a lot about ourselves through the lens of performance, through the filter. Um, let me give you an example. I think re- of late, the physios, the physiosphere, physical therapy sphere, of which I'm sort of a tangential part always, you know, is always big on this biopsychosocial component of pain. We're getting pain wrong. People are complex psychoemotional beings. You know, we it's not mechanics. You know, you know, we can't control. And I'm like, hang on. Have you ever worked in performance? Because if you have people who don't belong to a team, who don't communicate, who don't feel safe and valued, who don't sleep, who don't eat food and drink water and warm up and cool down, those people suck. <laughs> so, you know, you had to get good at that stuff day one. Like culture is really what's missing from so many of these conversations of people who aren't coming from performance. So I think early on, you can be misguided because it is easy to get into the weeds and some of the technical aspects. But ultimately, this is all about changing behavior. And it's all about people. And initially, you might 
you know, Eddie out for lack of a better phrase in some of the technical aspects of training, but then you realize you can't really understand the hypothesis that you're putting out there because that's really what we're doing in training. Here's my hypothesis. If you do these things, we'll have this result and then we test it and then we, we recalibrate every day. And sometimes you recalibrate once a week, and sometimes you recalibrate every, every month, sometimes you recalibrate once a year, whether you won or lost a championship. But ideally, we're trying to get the, the coupling, we're trying to more closely conjoin our behaviors with inputs and outputs every day. That's really the magic. If we can understand in real time what's happening with athletes, then we can understand what our work is doing. And ultimately, as a coach, you end up coming back to what is essential because the dirty data it, it, it generates and the fact that you can't understand inputs and outputs. Why is this athlete getting hurt all the time? Why are they always having these soft tissue injuries? Oh, they stay up till two in the morning. Oh, they, they're on, you know, an ambient Adderall death cycle. You know, they, you know, they eat, they eat like tantrum 14 year old millionaires. So what you end up seeing is what we start to control, at least say, Hey, look, let's play better in the spheres that we can know we can play better. We can control those things. And lo and behold, you're always going to come back to feet. You're always going to come back to pelvis. You're always going to come back to breathing and then sleep. I mean, the, the fundamentals are there. And that really draw this, this notion of consilience, which is the unification of knowledge, which is, so uh, what I see John Cusack put up, it's like a, it's a coincidence of truths. What ends up happening is everyone starts to see that this is vital. And then what we can then argue about is, well, do you need to bench twice a week or three times a week if you're a lineman? I don't know, right? Then we, you know, do you, do you like more back squat or do you do more plyos? Then we can have a conversation about tactics. But until that happens, I think we're seeing the evolution of coming back in, particularly with the work that you guys have done, because it's so much easier to understand inputs and outputs instead of just being like, yeah, 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 I, I slept. And we're like, okay, let's just check that pretend box and move on, right? Yeah, it's funny, you know, you, you say that because I, I got started working with, you know, NFL players and combat sport athletes, you know, way back in 2001, 2002. And right around the same time, I started using HRV. And, and really, I think, as you point out, when you're young, you kind of assume that, like, if I do this, then this is what's likely going to happen. And you think it's all about sets and reps and exercises. And I spend hours, like, agonizing, like, three sets of 12 or maybe do four sets of six, like, 45 seconds rest or thir- like you just agonize over these details. And then I would see the results by looking at HRV and kind of talking to them and like, wait a minute, like none of those details mattered because the guy barely slept and was stressed out of his mind because he had a work deadline and his nutrition was terrible. Like you just kind of start to realize that you get so lost in the weeds because you think those are what are going to make or break your program and what are going to make or break your coaching. And you kind of end up realizing it does come back to, uh, you know, the individual and how they're sleeping and how they're feeling and what their life is like outside the gym. And you just start to realize that uh, the biggest gains can often be made from small changes outside their life or sometimes big changes. And these agonizing over sets and reps and, you know, the details it often performs or often makes no difference. And you really can't predict what those things are going to do because there's small details in the grand scheme of things anyway. Well, you know, and I think you really bring up a good point too, particularly when you're working with, let's say people who have a good training age, they're very strong. They've got, they're durable. They've, they've been laying down the collagen for a long time and they're genetic mutants. So, so suddenly you're like, I need you to do this exercise bike and this Hammersmith machine. And people are like, Whoa, you got so strong. You're like, I'm the best coach in the world. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And it's really difficult. One of the things, the exercises I like to do when I'm in a big group of, of coaches, uh, I, I did this recently at the, or a couple years ago at the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaching Association, right behind Cal Dates. I get five or 6,000 of the best, brightest coaches on planet. I'm like, okay, how many of you guys have, 
and men and women and people have coached someone for 10 years and you've seen their development for 10 years. Not a hand goes up. I mean, the old, old grizzled guys go up, you know? And then I'm like, okay, nine years, eight years, seven years, six years, and then five years, Move hands start to go up. I'm like, four years, all the hands are up. And I'm like, okay. So even in this statement, it's very difficult for us to truly know what the inputs and outputs of our work are because we can't see down the line of what we beget. We just maybe have handed off some problems. So what we have to do is begin to work backwards and have these fundamentals, these foundations. And maybe you guys experience this, but I keep waiting to go into a place where everyone's like, I know all this. <laughs> like, why are you here? I, I've been doing this my whole life. You know, like, of course, you know, I, I've got all this down. And, and I have yet to run into that population. But, you know, one of the mistakes we make in performance is, you know, we trade on the durability of the human being when really we don't know what the, what sort of the seeds are going to, you know, develop into because we don't run the experiment long enough. And our hypothesis is that if you teach to the highest expression of the movement, you follow the best guidelines around your biologic health. Are you, do you feel safe? You know, can you, do you know how to relax? Do you drink water? Do you sleep and you eat foods? You may not be taking full advantage that you can continue to develop yourself as an athletic professional for a much longer for many years, maybe into your 40s, which means your earning window is better, which means you can bounce back from niggling injuries better. I mean, all of that. So I think we've left a lot of potential on the table precisely because when you're 19, it matters less than, you know, what you eat than when it does when you're 35. Yeah. And, you know, the hard part is is getting those 19, 20, 20 year olds to see that future, right? They, they're, they're so focused on the present. And I was you know, balance the athletes that are in their late 20s or 30s. They're the ones who are super receptive to recovery and they're starting to take sleep much more seriously. And they're like, oh man, I need to extend my career. What what can I do? You know, it's trying to figure out how do we change the behavior of these young guys we know are setting themselves up for these problems down the road. But, you know, how do you convince a 21-year-old that's making $5 million a year on a team that he really needs to improve his behavior if he wants to be making that same money 10 years from now? That's that's the hard part, I think, is getting people to, to change their behavior now to get the long-term benefit later. Sure. You, you nailed that. I know I, I can think about working with uh, Naval Special Warfare, working with 22-year-old superstars, and they don't care. They're like, whatever, I'm a mutant. Like, you, you know, yeah. you, like, you see my mutant tattoo? And then I go work with, you know, the, you know, dev group of Naval Special Warfare, and those guys are 40s and 50s, and they're like, hey, what was that about my back? What was that about my hips? Because yeah. everything hurts all the time, and I'm afraid yeah. I'm not going to be able to get out of bed in the morning, much less go to a, an austere environment. You know, and we've seen the same thing as you guys know in the NFL, too. Rookies come in, and, you know, they've survived a program at college, but the, the vets are like, dude, you know, I, I, I'm worried that I'm not – I've been told or sold a lie and now I have to really do a lot of backfilling in these things. You know, um, I think you're absolutely right. And again, it comes down to if it's not about pain, which is where we've been using as a, as a lazy, lazy crutch. If something's painful, then we're like, oh, pay attention to it, right? But what if it's not about pain? You know, I, I've been asking people, if there's no pain, how do you know a tissue is healthy? Has it healed? Have you had a full adaptation response to the injury training? If it's not, you know, for the, from the training, if it's, if you don't have pain and what we see is that we're not left with many things other than forced production, maybe HRV. 
resting heart rate, wattage and poundage output, right? It really has to be, some of these are lagging indicators, right? Resting heart rate, et cetera, et cetera. But some of them are real-time indicators. And the more we focus on momentary performance of understanding, this is why so many athletes have gone to wattage on the bike because they can understand in real time what their effort needs to be today based on sort of understanding their feelings. So if we take away pain, we better have another set of tools. And that's a really good way to sell behavior change to young people. It's like, look, you didn't go out drinking. You know, you, uh, you ate some food, you rested, and you were faster today, right? That's amazing. <laughs> so uh, that's really a, a gigantic opportunity for us to make the case for these best, best practices. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. One of the things I've always tried to reinforce coaches is, you know, your athletes, the people you work with, they want to see progress. I mean, progress is its reward in and of itself. And if people are putting in the works, like subconsciously, there needs to be a reward for that from a dopamine, you know, just motivational standpoint. If they come in the gym every day for you know, weeks or months on end and they don't really have a way to gauge whether or not they're improving, they don't really see numbers getting better. They just, even if they feel better, they don't, they need to see something tangible. So, like you mentioned, showing their watts improving, reinforcing just, hey, man, you're looking awesome. Like, look at your numbers. That is how you increase, you know, it's how you reinforce positive behavior. I mean, it's the classic behavior reward, you know, conditioning. Uh, side of how the brain works. And I think coaches miss out on that because sometimes it gets so lost and like they're just gonna they're just gonna put the intensity hammer down. They think that's what the people you know want or need, uh, but ultimately that's not very rewarding. I mean, at the end of the day, if if all you're getting in the gym is a smashing every time you go in there, uh, you know, it's it's not a great long term uh, reward or result. And I think the problem we've seen is you know some of the young coaches either either, either want to make these crazy complicated programs or they just want to smash everybody in the ground. It's kind of like one of two options, right? right. I love that you're uh, bringing the Skinner box into this conversation, BF Skinner, yeah, right? Exactly. right? Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> you know, um, it's great, it's great. I think one of the things that you really bring up is how are we, how are people demonstrating to themselves? You have to prove it to themselves. Intercession change is really important, but intercession change is important too. People can see yep. that this change in technique gave them more movement choices. This change in 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 training style made them better. And one of the things that I think has been convoluted by the greater fitness community, it's difficult for me to tell if I'm improving on, you know, bodybuilding exercises. Am I getting bigger? Am I more shredded? You know, did I win Instagram on Tuesday because I took my shirt <laughs> off and I look jacked? Yeah. You know, the even in just the general gym culture, I think has is such powerful roots because there's so much right there around community and shared effort, physical practice, but it's really recursive. I do more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups, right? I bet deadlift so I can deadlift. Well, at some point, I'm like, well, are you strong enough? Do you, I mean, you know, I have a ton of mutant strong powerlifter friends and I'm like, you're not, you're not going to be my first choice for the kickball team. Like, don't take this the wrong way, but you're not very athletic. You're very strong, but not very athletic. And not that we can't rip out a lot from them. And that's their choice. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things that you brought up, which is so important, is always coming back to why are we training? And that's the thing. So when we are looking at non-season, we call that, you know, general preparation training or, uh, you know, the the idea you could say it's GPP, but you know ultimately we can we can be tuning that up so that the movements that we're doing make it easier for my athlete to do their job or pick up a new skill. Right, sports preparation training 
then morphs into sports-specific training, which is if I'm doing sports-specific training, it's not that I'm trying to mimic surfing for my surfers. It is I the only way I value the outputs of my training is were you able to do your job better and win, right? Did, could you be better coached? Did I make it easier for do your thing? And I think to your point around this reward is always keeping in mind and circling back to what is the intention of our training sessions, right? Again, it's hard to quantify intensity. I I didn't vomit today. I guess I'm a failure, right? I I could get up (laughs) off the toilet after a thousand air squats. So I wasn't enough air squats versus, you know, did this actually make me better at a sport? Because when we start asking that conversation, that's a, there's a big gap between that sports preparation training, which is designed to make athletes win sports versus I'm trying to get fit for cardiorespiratory, cardiometabolic health. And those things sometimes get confusing in the middle. Hey everybody, quick time out to ask you a question. Have you heard about the Morpheus 30 day recovery challenge? Well, the not so secret secret is how better health and fitness starts with better recovery. During each monthly challenge, you'll get to compete with people from all over the world to win prizes while learning how to unlock the power of recovery. We've partnered with world-renowned experts in areas like sleep, stress, mobility, and recovery science to help you level up your fitness, maximize your performance, and live a healthier and longer life. The best part is that the challenge is absolutely free. All you need is a Morpheus recovery system to join. Don't have Morpheus yet? Just go to trainwithmorpheus.com forward slash challenge to learn more about how it all works and how to get in on the next challenge. Better recovery means better results. Trainwithmorpheus.com slash challenge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing we've been talking about recently, just as you know, I've gotten older and, and worked with with more people who are looking at longer health goals versus just you know performance goals. It's the same thing. It's how do we quantify that? You know, how do you give somebody a meaningful health goal that you can see improve? And in my experience, you know, looking at resting heart rate and HRV trends in particular are, are hugely valuable because no one's going to get blood tests every week. They don't want to. It's pointless. No one's going to check their blood pressure every day. But if we can say, look, you know, your HRV has gone up, you know, five points in the last month. Like we see things going the right direction from a cardiovascular standpoint, and that's going to translate to all these benefits down the road. I think it's easy. Like you said, you can count reps and squats and deadlifts and weight, but it's, it's been harder for people to quantify that, like that mystical health, wellness, cardiovascular, uh, you know, capacity in a meaningful way that does provide you a reward as you see it improving. So that's where I've found some real value in having some numbers like HRV and resting heart rate and heart rate recovery and those sorts of things, because you can show somebody, you know, from workout to workout, look how much better you're recovering between session or between uh, reps and look how much your HRV is going up. Those are to me, really been really valuable tools of the conditioning realm because people always ask me, well, how do you evaluate conditioning? Well, it depends on who you're, what, what you're training them for. But if we're talking about the average person who just wants to look better and feel better and live longer, I mean, I think those are tool tools that are kind of underutilized the way that they, they should be at least. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, sometimes I end up dipping into people who are managing injury pain or persistent pain or chronic pain. And it's difficult for people in that moment to really understand and appreciate uh, the impact of their sleep and sleep density and sleep quality on how sensitized their brains are, right? That a a person who is under rested is more, it's going to have more triggering or more sensitivity to pain, right? And um, now if you work with me, I don't believe you that you slept. You have to prove it to me 
that you slept with. So we can actually have some baselines of these things. And finally, I mean, I owned the original, you know, Jill Jameson HRV book. You know, I nice. had the original, heart, you know, cool. the, the strap where I would start to cheat it by holding my breath and doing weird stuff, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I try to game the system whenever I could, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I had an Omega wave and strapped the things to my head here. And I know that you all are, are, you know, really working to make this understandable for people The the relationship between inputs and outputs, you know, cause this is one of the things that I think is really tricky is you know, if we're, if it's not just pain, no pain, you know, you come into the gym and you suck today and I'm like, well, what's going on? You know? And I'm like, your recovery is way off. Like you're look at your baseline scores. Like what's happening? And you're like, well, I got to fight with my girlfriend. So I went and drank 17 beers and ate three pizzas and stayed up and gaming until three tomorrow. I'm like, okay, no wonder your wattage is wretched today, right? You look like a hot mess, but we want to expand that, that immediate wattage to include things like incomplete range of motion, right? Force production readiness. You know, one of the reasons I'm really such a big fan of people looking at speed and force production, even things like kettlebell swings, even if it's subjectively measured, right? I, oh, I lost power at rep seven is then we can at least maintain some reference of, of durability versus I just, well, coach said I had to do all this work. So I did all this work, right? And, and I think the, the point I'm trying to make here is how do we continue to expand so that people can own the process? You know, I just was watching uh, the All or Nothing about Tottenham Hotspurs. And I don't know if you guys have seen this on Amazon uh, Amazon Prime. They follow the All Blacks for a season. They follow Tottenham uh, Football Club. And uh, sorry, you guys don't understand. Tottenham, that, that makes more sense now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have 10 physios for 24 guys. And the guys are just laying there and the shake is made. And, man, those guys know nothing about how their bodies work, right? And, and they're not even part of the process. They just lay on the table and they're texting and someone's rubbing their adductors and someone brings them a shake and they're told what to do. And I was like, wow, here we have a completely disenfranchised group of athletes who own no aspect of their process. And what we're starting to see is a next generation of athletes who are coming through who are starting to really appreciate and own and feel and being able to make the tweaks up and down as a relationship to their coach because expert clinicianship is a, is a conversation. So we have to do a better job of making sure that we're giving people the crack, but also making sure that they own the process at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, that was one of the things I kind of learned early on with, uh, the, with the HRV game is, is you'd see these Microsoft guys come in stressed out of their mind and, and they'd be like, you know, my, my weight's not improving or I'm not losing weight. I'm like, well, look at what you're doing. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of got to show them, you know, that relationship between, hey, you, you're sleeping four hours a night. Like, that's why you're not improving. Like, we have to fix that. I always tell the story. There was um, this guy who was, who was trying to improve his vertical jump and we were going through all of his data and measuring stuff and and he just wasn't seeing the improvements i wanted and i had him write down I'm like okay let's just keep a, a diet log for a week like let's see what you're doing because he's telling me he's is nutritionally okay uh and then basically it turned out he was he was working right next to the uh the drink machine the the soda like thing at microsoft where he could just take out as many drinks he wanted he was having like 24 to 30 cans of coke a day <laughs> like just subconsciously he didn't even realize he was having that many drinks until he started having to count it and then as soon as we, you know, fixed that, his vertical jump went up like two inches. And it hadn't gone two inches in like four months. Like, the, you know, the simplest thing was going to have the biggest impact, but he wasn't even aware. Like he was like, I thought I'd have like four or five. He literally had no idea that he was basically chain drinking Coke 
at Microsoft for eight or 10 hours a day. So a lot of times it's just people have to be aware of what their actions are, A, and then they have to be aware of the cost of those actions. And I, I try to always position as that, like, hey, you can do this, you can sleep four hours a night, but you're going to pay a cost for it. And the cost is going to be performance or injury or pain or lack of longevity. I think people need to make those associations. You need to help them make those associations so that they can recognize, you know, there is a cost to what you're doing. And if you want to get the outcome you're looking for, uh, you know, you, you might want to think about trying something different. And ultimately, if you can get people to take ownership of that, I think you're going to get a much better outcome for the, for the long term. Whew. That is such a powerful story. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done around behavior is we try to constrain the environment whenever we can. We try to take away choice and we try to take away error by having a, a more robust environment. And you've probably heard me say this before, but I'm like, look, if you don't eat cookies at two in the morning, then don't buy cookies because otherwise those cookies are not safe in the house. No one has that will. Yep. Right. And, um, you know, what one of the things that we're always trying to do then is say, well, how do we constrain a movement behavior? That's a coaching thing. So we have a better outcome. But one of our, you know, behavior changes that we're trying to like, we're like, you have to eat this many grams of protein in a day and you need to eat this many fruits and vegetables in a day. And I love uh, one of my friends, E.C. Sinkowski, came up with this idea of the 800-gram challenge, which is eating 800 grams of fruits and vegetables a day. Like, you want to do it all in apples? Knock yourself out. You know, like, no one got obese eating carrots and bananas. Like, that's not the problem <laughs> in spite of what the internet is telling you right now. You know, how do we up your micronutrients and fiber? How do we up your protein? And then I'm like, man, you're still hungry? Knock yourself out and eat that pint of ice cream. But I guarantee you, you probably can't because you're stuffed, right? And so... How we're always looking at how do we set up an environment so someone has to make it one less choice so that then the outcomes are better. And I think that's really what we're seeing is that when we can be more clever about understanding the willpower and the behavior, the environmental triggers of the human, really understanding the nuance of someone's life, then we can see the, the lead on effects of, you know, of these things in the metrics that we, we want to measure. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because that's kind of the the big thing I always come back to. I'm like, okay, I'm letting my diet maybe not be as tight as I want. What do I got to do? I got to go to the house and clean out all the crap that I know I shouldn't have in there that I'm sort of tempted to eat. Okay, now I'm really tempted. Okay, now I'm going to eat it. It's just it's the the least amount of willpower you can you can have to uh, uh, endure to make the, the the choice easy the better. So I think people definitely can benefit from just cleaning out the crap they don't want and the same thing with sleep right get rid of the tv in your bedroom so you're not tempted to turn on and watch netflix you know remove those obstacles that you have to use willpower to to intervene and your life will be a hell of a lot easier we take the phones out you know this is as we're talking about athletic development and we're talking about longevity and durability you know our girls are not allowed to have i have a i have a 16 year old and a 14 year old 13 year old they're not allowed to have their phones in their bedroom at night and because, and they have slightly different times in the summer when they need to turn them in, but it's because we're like, look, how can you possibly withstand that? And, and what I say to them is, you know, hey, it's not because I'm a better person. I, if I had a Snapchat, I'd be snapping my girlfriend at like two in the morning all the time. <laughs> but if I'm trying to improve this sleep dense, sleep sleep quality, then how do we change the behavior? And by removing that trigger, that stimulus, we end up seeing better behaviors. And really brings us back to this point that one of the things that's so important is that we really work on a micro person level. You need, you know, if you have something wrong with your knee, you're just some knee pain when you run, you go see your doctor, 
your doctor does not have an opportunity to know all these things about you. In that six minutes or eight minutes that she has, she can't ask you about your warm-up and cool-down, nutrition and collagen and macros and movement quality. She asks you to run. None of that is germane in that conversation. Who owns that information? Your physical therapist? Ah, no way. You don't see them often enough. So it turns out for me, the coach is really the most important person in the sphere, in the, the, the healthcare performance care of human beings, because you have the most interactions with that person. And we have consistently either had strength and conditioning coaches or fitness coaches, and the two don't really kind of collide and interact, but we need to do a much better job empowering you know, some of the fun, some of the, you know, the tribe and culture from fitness into strength and conditioning. And we need to take some of the basics around, you know, foundations of strength and conditioning, you know, not just more body weight exercises backwards, because this community is the community where everyone's going to get educated. And until we make that kind of quantum leap, we're going to just keep doing the same thing and throwing our hands in there. You know, that I, I feel like I got to ask you guys this question because I'd remiss if I didn't, because I see two coaches who, um, you know, have, have done a lot of things. You guys have both written well-renowned books. You coach at the highest level, pro athletes, special warfare. Um, you speak, you are entrepreneurs, you're successful in that area. And this, this question is cliche, but I think it's important to ask you guys, you know, when you look at the young coaches coming in so much noise, right? There's so many things that you should be doing. Um, there's all these business gurus telling you, Hey, you got to do this. You got to post this many times. You got to Whatever it is, there's a million things that they get pulled in those directions. If you had to bestow some advice upon the younger coaching community, um, given all the tools that they have now that maybe you didn't have when you started, what what would some of those those pieces of advice be? Joe, go first. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that uh, I guess I'll, I'll take the lead in that. When 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 I was in the industry growing up, uh, you know, I found this website on that website. It's actually a forum called Super Training. I don't know if you were around that, Kelly. That oh was, yeah. That was Mel Sif, basically, uh, the South American or South African scientist typing, you know, in the middle of the night, this, this forum, he would just reach out to coaches and help them. And the funny thing is, it was one of the best forums of highly educated, highly experienced coaches that I've ever seen, um, honestly. And you had the Swiss symposiums. You had all these places where all these top level coaches would, would core, you know, come together as a community. We had live workshops with them. And you, you became part of this community of, of other experts and people to share ideas with. And I think that's kind of getting lost with social media because you're just being bombarded with people that have no real background, no real experience, but they have a million followers. You think, well, that person must know what he's talking about. Uh, and you're also losing some of the in-person of events and relationships and things that I think were really important to me as, as a young, uh, you know, coach coming up in the field. So hopefully with COVID, you know, that'll change and we can get back to some of those live events more frequently. But, you know, I think just pick the people you learn from carefully and and really focus on building relationships and community and focusing on learning the things you know the least about. I think it's it's really easy to try to learn more about what you already know something about and you feel confident. It's harder to say, I really suck at this. I've got to dive into it and learn that uh, side of the game because I think it's you, you, it's really easy to get in the game of reinforcing what you're good at and leaving these big gaping holes in your knowledge and coaching experience. So if you can do the opposite of that, you tend to be much better off. So I mean, that's kind of the, the advice I'd say is is always go towards where you're the weakest and and find the best people that you trust and learn from and build a community of, of people around you. Whew. Um, amen. Super training um, was so important. And, you know, at the time, it, one of the things that used to happen a lot was a coach was to travel and watch and mentor with other master coaches. 
And what I learned from yep. that early on was that you had to make the effort to become a better coach. And Gunnar Peterson, for example, used to be like, well, you want to train with me? No problem. Be here at four in the morning. <laughs> to open up the gym and people were either there or they weren't there that was the opportunity so you know they made a commitment i would fly down and you know be an assistant on a olympic lifting course weekend with my sensei and i would do it unpaid willingly be there early and sleep on a friend's couch and fly home and you know and i did that repeatedly because i was like I need to understand how to coach this Olympic lifting well enough to be competent at it. And, you know, I just had my mind blown every weekend for three days in a row. All I would do is just watch and be an assistant, move plates, fetch coffee, do whatever I could. Um, the other thing that I learned from that was that the best coaches in the world tend to be really competent across multiple domains. So they can coach, they see the inputs and outputs. So they can coach young people, they can coach general fitness, they can coach Olympians, they can coach elderly people, they can work with special populations. And that they were savage generalists. They're always curious. They're taking their friends' classes. They're being coached by anyone. Look, I know you think you have some special program you're on as a coach, but you're not. <laughs> you can jump into anyone's class, even if you bench three times this week and you're benching on Tuesday, fine. Just work on your, refine your technique. But there was a, that has lost because I think people are a little bit afraid to look like beginners. And because the internet has taught us to be sort of that we have to always present ourselves as experts. One other piece I would say is, uh, you know, you'll see that the, the greater the transparency, the greater the validity. And I see a lot of people who are experts who don't own their own gym. They're actually working out in a global gym and filming themselves and they're not actually working with people. And it's easy for people to be like, oh, you're just doing expert bias. But I'm like, actually, Jill Jamison has his bona fides are you have to understand his the way he's thinking and the problems he's solving because here are the populations that he's been in and there's real at stake for that. And so, you know, I think early on as a coach, I never set out to create any of this. I set out to own a gym and be really good at owning my own gym and serving my classes and serving the athletes I was working with and being hyper, hyper good at that problem. So I started just be having a reputation in my neighborhood and then in the San Francisco and, you know, and, and starting there because otherwise the social media has completely bankrupted us. Here's an example. Google now considers 90 seconds to be long format. So, uh, you know, how easy is it to dive into the nuances and the complexities of being a messy human in 90 seconds? TikTok is 60 seconds, 15 seconds. So it's easy to see a snapshot and not see any context. Some of the most powerful uh, instruction I ever saw was early on, Joe DeFranco would film his sessions and then put them on DVD. And you could watch what a session looked like start to finish. Mark Bell used to do this. You could actually see what a session looked like. So I watch, I jump in and watch all the Olympic lifting in China. Like, how are they running the programs? What jumps are they taking? Why are they warming up that way? And I'm just going with the curiosity of they have a, a reason for doing it, a rationale that I'm trying to glean what problems they're trying to solve. And so the more transparent you can be, the more everyone's showing you their warts, the better information that is that you can then take back and refine. And there is no substitution for tens of thousands of hours of coaching. You have to coach and you have to do it day after day, after day, after day, after day. And then you'll be, start beginning to say like, okay, I think I understand nothing. Perfect. Now another 10,000 hours. In. <laughs> yeah. I second all that. Absolutely. 
You know, I was, uh, it's, it's interesting too. And after everything that you guys have done and, and all of the roads that you've gone down, you know, I remember reading, uh, Kelly, the, the supple leopard, which I had bought originally as like a desk reference, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to put it here when I need something. I'm hey, go it kept it, it weighs I... like 50 pounds. You put it in your freezer and then when something hurts you, <laughs> right. you do body temperature. It's good for making it. burger patties. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, but I did, I, I started reading it. I remember the intro and I ended up reading it, you know, front to back. Right. And I was like, oh, that was actually just an excellent read in general. And I learned a lot as being human. But I remember in the front story, you were talking about, uh, and this has got, it's been a long time. I can't really remember this, that uh, you were talking, you were sitting next to somebody on an airplane and they asked you what you did. Right. And, you know, you kind of rattle things and you're like, well, I'm a coach. At the end of the day, I'm a coach. Right. And I'm curious when I, when I talk to you guys, when people ask you still to this day, right, Joel, when you meet someone on an airplane or remember when we were on airplanes, guys, uh, when you meet someone, what, what do you tell them that you are, what you do? No, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a tough one because you, you, you end up wearing many hats, you know, running businesses and, and coaching and coaching coaches. And you know, I usually just say I'm in the fitness industry and I try to help people improve their health performance and kind of just leave it that unless they want to start asking questions because there's at the end of the day, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help people either improve their health you know, and or improve their performance, whether that's as a coach directly, as a coach of other coaches or an entrepreneur creating software or whatever. I'm just trying to help people at the end of the day achieve one of those things or whatever it is that their their own fitness goals may be. And that, that can take many different forms. Yeah, it depends, you know, if if they're what you know, what I'm I'm trying to give you my bona fides in a 30 second speech, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm a physical therapist, you know, and if I am a physio, you know, I, my wife and I run a SaaS business a software service, you know, a subscription company, you know, it's really interesting, you know, oftentimes I say I'm a coach, you know, and then if we get into it, they're like, oh, you went to physio school too. I'm like, yeah, that was just my classical training to become a coach. Right. I, you know, I came from a, everyone has some classical education at some point. So, um, you know, it is complicated now because, you know, one of the questions that we get a lot of is people are like, well, what's the most important exercise? And I'm like, oh, in that conversation, what you're really asking is what is not important? Which which is the most important range of motion or greatest mobilization? Like which positions are extra on the body? What what function of the hip is not important to you today, right? And it's all important. And if you're going to be a competent coach, you have to take a page out of David Epstein's book, Range, and you have to be a generalist. You have to be competent and have some base competency in some of these core domains. And which means when someone shows up with pain in your gym, in your training session, you can no longer be like, that's a medical problem. You need to have some first aid kits. Maybe that's contract, relax, or teaching them to scrape, or using percussion, or using BFR. You have to have some tools because in the gym is the place where people are going to manage that pain, which means you're going to have to up your game a little bit, right? You're going to have to get into the nuances of sleep basics, and you're going to have to have some rough idea of general diet principles, general movement principles to, to have this, which means it's never going to stop for you. You're never going to arrive as a coach. So be prepared to be constantly humbled by what you don't know. Yeah, I think that's another huge piece of the puzzle for the younger coaches to realize is if all you're working on is sets and reps, you're, you're missing this massive piece of the human puzzle. You know, you are going to have to learn sleep. You are going to have to learn uh, as Kelly put, the, the pain management and the different tools he mentioned. I mean, you're going to have to be more than just an exercise prescription guy or girl. You're going to have to be a real coach. And that means understanding that people's lives don't end when they walk out of the gym. You know, there's there's 23 other hours in day that influence 
their performance, their health is much or more in the hour in the gym. So as you know, hopefully this industry progresses, that'll become more of a standard and, and more of a normative thing that coaches and gyms recognize that, you know, fitness and health don't stop after the workout's over. They're, they're really just beginning in a lot of ways. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where things go, but I'm, I'm hopeful at least that that's the, the general direction we're going to have to go because if you want to really at, improve outcomes and change behavior, it doesn't happen in, in 60 minutes. Yeah, well, right. You know, I think it's confusing too. I think some of the big tech industries have gotten interested in this. You know, I just wrapped up a, a project with Amazon where we're trying to do computer vision, um, helping them assess what should we assess in this computer vision helping your phone help you manage sort of movement minimums. This is not about human performance. This is about creating baselines. Like is 120 over 80 good blood pressure? No, it's just a benchmark benchmark for decent blood pressure moving towards bad blood pressure, right? You know, is I'm like, is 60 really a good resting heart rate? And you're like, no. If you do know any fit people, it's not 60. So how do we begin to wrap our heads around some of these minimums? The tech industry is getting involved. And I go into Apple Fitness and I'm like, oh, as long as there's good music and I feel good and I dance around, that's fitness. Or I go into Mirror and the same thing, right? And, and I think what we've been told is effort equals progress, right? And it looks and smells fitnessy, so it must be it. And it's very confusing for the consumer, you know, to, to get involved and really start to, you know, understand what is real fitness training. And again, are you, you know, uh, here's a great example. I don't know if you guys have seen the hundred foot wave. Uh, it's a documentary, oh, yeah. right? Great series. Nazare. But there's yeah. Garrett McNamara who is total savage and he's doing yoga to try to get ready for these, you know, and yoga is a great practice, but that's an incomplete practice to be able to s- load, handle load, breathe hard, be gnarly. Sorry. I mean, if, you know, I'm just take the best MMA fighter in the world. We're just going to do yoga for three months and then jump in the ring. I can tell you what the outcome is going to be. It's going to be bad, <laughs> right? Or they take the NFL, yeah. the NBA. So I think that was a great case of, hey, we've taken fitnessing, which I call as a verb, and it confused us for a minute. And, you know, we're like, oh, but I worked really hard on my Peloton. I don't understand. Why does my knee hurt? Or why can't I do this? Or why didn't I, why couldn't I flip the tire in the Spartan race? Well, you know, you, you had a gigantic engine and you got all the, the points on the Peloton experience, but it was not a complete experience or a complete fitness. And as long as we're, we're keep, using fitness as entertainment, we're going to keep stumbling on the same information over and over again. We're same phenomenon. Yeah, man. So I, I know we're kind of buttoned up on time, Kelly, and I realized that we never really got into like, what are you doing now? Like today is uh, September 2nd, 2021. What, what are you up to? I mean, you guys got the ready state. You got a lot of different things. You got some really cool projects, stand-up kids and stuff like that. I mean, you could give a little plug on, on what you guys are doing and where people can find out more. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I think one of the things I'm most excited about is, you know, I don't know if you two can relate to this, but uh, there's some technology that we just launched and uh, getting ready, just pulled our hair out. Uh, We have a brand new app that is now out rolled out to our, our, our users. And I have a a movement self-assessment in there that we're, we're trying to help create movement, vital signs, movement baselines and it's red, yellow, or green. And that's as much as anyone needs to know. Hey, I should keep an eye on this. Whoa, this is a real big opportunity to get better, right? And that thing is, I think, the best movement assessment 
self-assessment on the plant, the most comprehensive. And remember, I get to see everyone else's data. I know what everyone else has done. So I, I'm really proud of this. And then Juliet and I are really spending a lot of time, you know, one of the things that we're doing is realizing that the coach is the power center of the future. So we have a new course coming out called Training the Injured Athlete. And which means how do we empower coaches to be able to step in when people are subacute, discharged from training and pick up the slack with the same principles that we have using tempo and isometrics and, you know, basic linear progressions to return people back to the promise of their bodies after injury. We train after injury, after surgery. And then lastly, you know, we're working on a big book. Um, we just signed a book deal with a, a big publishing house in New York called Knopf, where we're going to, it's called Built to Move. And what we're going to try to do is really see if we can't improve some of uh, the physical practices for most people, really talking about how they interact that's not diet and not exercise, right? We're not talking about getting you shredded and getting you fit to go run a marathon. You know, everyone is so into the weeds on, I think, like climbing Everest. We're like, hey, you're not even to base camp yet. Let's get you to base camp and create a durable person. I think as Julie and I are approach, each approaching 50, we've become a much more interested in durability and longevity not, you know, the, the Silicon Valley longevity where I take this, you know, this Veritrol and I do these, these drips, but like <laughs> really how do we do the basics of these things so that we can actually fulfill the promise of science. The promise of science is to inform the humanities. The promise of fitness is to transform society. And as long as we do not uphold that truth, we're going to leave everyone behind. And so we think it's shame on us. So that's sort of what we're more obsessed with these days. Well, Kelly, man, real quick, you know, it's funny as, as all of us are kind of starting at the same time age, we're all kind of looking at the same thing. Like, how do we just stay around here longer and live healthier, right? Like, <laughs> no, I'm not know. to worry about my how bench press or my squat right now. I just want to <laughs> stay alive <laughs> and be able to walk down the street when I get older. <laughs> it's the, man, it is true. It's true. I wish it was, I wish it was yeah. sexier, but, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, how the same conversation with coaches, how do you know when it's enough for an athlete? where you can focus on other skills, right? Because we can certainly fill the time in the gym with a lot of busy work. But how do you know if you're strong enough or what your minimums are? That's a really nuanced conversation. And unfortunately, the internet makes it difficult for us to assess that. And what we see is we have a lot of confused people out there right now, right? Carbs cause cancer. No, not, not true. Sugar does not cause cancer. Carbs don't make you fat. You know, energy balance matters. Whole foods matter. You know, I, stop pre dry scooping pre wad. That's not a good behavior. So, you know, I think, um, we're going to get there and, uh, you know, we can keep running this experiment until we get it better. Awesome. Awesome. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. It was a treat. And, uh, Joel, love your guys. Uh, back and forth and the input you guys on coaches. So I uh, appreciate everything you guys do. And yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Kelly Starrett. Pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Hey friends, don't leave yet. We wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of Morpheus Radio. If you enjoyed it and you got value out of it, we asked you to do just a couple quick things. Number one, share. Put on social media. If you got value, then I'm sure all of your friends and colleagues will as well. Number two, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Leave us a nice review and we will greatly appreciate it. We may even read it on air. Lastly, go to trainwithmorpheus.com. You can get more information about the Morpheus system as well as schedule a meeting or join the next challenge at trainwithmorpheus.com forward slash challenge. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.